Welcome. This is Crime Noir, a true crime podcast telling our stories. And I'm your host, Candace, and this is Case 21, The Murder of Joan Charlton. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Crime Noir. Um, I apologize in advance, I'm getting over a cold, so... If I sound a little stuffy, just bear with me. Um, before I get into today's episode, I just like to do a trigger warning that although this episode does not feature any explicit language, I do talk about issues revolving violence and etc. So you've been warned. Let's get into today's episode. So today's episode actually occurred on Frostburg State University. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but it's a small school that's located in the city of Frostburg, Maryland, in the Appalachians in Western Maryland. Frostburg, which was originally Mount Pleasant, was a small mining town in the west of Maryland, and it was booming with the arrival of the B&O Railroad. The first African-American student, Leon Brumbach, graduated in 1961. So that's just a little bit of background about the school. I've personally never been there, but I, I know a few people that have attended Frostburg. Anyway, let's get to the case. Joan Ann Charlton was a pretty Jamaican-American student. Her family moved to Baltimore from Jamaica in the 70s. She was the youngest of five children, and she was seen as lively, spirited, and kind. As maybe typical of many immigrant families, her upbringing was very strict, but it paid off academically for her. She was valedictorian of her high school graduating class, and she was the first of her family to go to college. And she was also offered a large monetary scholarship and started her college career at Frostburg in August 1983. She was a solid tutor in science and mathematics and a way ahead of her time. She wanted a career in computer technology. On September 13, 1983, 19-year-old Joanne Charlton was found murdered her naked body dumped near a small creek in the school's arboratorium. She was naked, one of her slippers was missing, and she had multiple stab wounds to the chest. She had been at school for only three weeks at the time of her death. 36 years later, some of the details of the case are fuzzy at best. It's commonly agreed upon that she was at a party in a predominantly male dormitory in the morning of her death. She was doing laundry and hanging out with other students. She left the party in the early morning. Most sources state the time was about 5.30 a.m., and then she headed back to her dormitory. Somewhere between those two spots, someone attacked Joan, possibly sexually assaulted her, stabbed her 19 times, and left her under a pile of leaves. All sources state that there were two suspects at the beginning of the investigation, but both led nowhere. There are theories and speculation pointing to the reasons why Joan was killed, that were far-reaching. One source, a student documentary on Fosburg campus, Ghosts, states her death was due to being in a, in a racial relationship with a white male. This angered other students as well. So that's just one theory, including the locals, might I add. In 1983, that's not an unusual occurrence, especially in Western Maryland. The landmark case Loving vs. Virginia decision was only 16 years earlier and many rural parts of Maryland and Virginia did not progress beyond attitudes in the 60s, even today. The case turned cold and was reopened again with the introduction of a new investigator in 2001, 
retired Sergeant Richard D. Castle was rehired as a cold case investigator for several Maryland cold cases, including Jones. However, his systemic review of the case did not produce any new leads, and the case remained cold and largely ignored until 2015, when a group of student journalists from Frostburg University interviewed family, friends, and former detectives to bring light to her case. According to the student journalist who reignited her case, she was at a party with nine other friends. She wasn't reported missing to the police until late that night when she hadn't returned to her room. When she hadn't reported to class on Monday, her counselor called her family to find if she'd return home for the weekend. She hadn't, and then her roommate officially reported her missing to residence life on Monday. During the research of this case, it was... I was unable to find out why the police had not conducted a search for her when she was originally reported as missing by her roommate. However, there was a note in the bottom line that she wasn't getting along with her roommate and family said she intended to move to another dorm over the weekend. So it is possible the police assumed she was avoiding the roommate. However, I really don't believe that to be the case. The next day, Tuesday, September 13th, 15 police officers and additional college administration gathered to search for her. The residence life administrator found her laundry bag along with the clothes she was wearing when she disappeared shortly after the search started. Two other school administrators soon found her body. One of them, Dr. Tom Bowling, said it could not have been more than a minute after the search started that they found her. An officer was called over to check for signs of life. There was no pulse along with damage to the body due to exposure to the elements, left no question. She was dead. The murderer had killed Joan where her laundry bag was originally found. There was a large pool of blood near the bag. A smaller pool was near an old footbridge in the area. The police interviewed every student both on and off campus and conducted wiretaps for the investigation. A young state trooper by the name of Stuart Russell was placed on the campus posing as a student. The trail continues to run cold. The reporting team contacted the medical examiner on February 29, 2016. The medical examiner will not release the results of the autopsy. A man was questioned and his home was searched, but no arrest ever happened. Another rumor was that the killing began as a joke gone wrong in a Dungeons and Dragons game. And I don't know if y'all know, but this game was associated with the satanic panic of the 80s. A third rumor was that Joan was concerned over a young man not leaving her alone. None of these rumors were supported by any of the reporting at the time. Finally, the family claimed that during Joan's funeral, there was a man described as tall and heavyset. He was seen crying and grasping at her casket. The family had to pry him away, but no one knew who he was. So let's get into some theories. I really don't have too many theories um, pertaining to this case because there's not a lot of information out there. This case is very small and I don't feel like it got a lot of national attention. I personally believe that someone on campus killed her. Maybe she rebuffed somebody's um, sexual advantages or maybe she was arguing with some chick. I mean, we really don't know. There's not a lot of information out there, and I really don't have any educated guesses to make from this, you guys, unfortunately. But all I can say is that if anybody out there is listening, I urge you, if you have any information, to please contact Maryland State Police at 410-653-4211. 
and let's get into some noir news. So I don't know if my listeners are familiar with like other serial killers. This one is not like a black serial killer or anything like that. But there was an update in the Long Island serial killer, which is a New York based serial killer. And he has killed or they have killed um, 11 sex workers and their identity still remains unknown. And recently there was a press conference, I believe today, actually, or earlier this week, regarding more information that they were releasing regarding um, who this suspect may be. They actually released a picture of the belt that has the initials WH or HM. And I think this is fascinating. Um, My personal opinion is that sometimes I wish the police um, release more information. I know they can't release a lot of information just to protect themselves and protect people from false claiming bodies that they didn't kill or whatever. But sometimes I think they hold things so close to the vest that they don't solicit the public um, response that they need. So I think it's very interesting that there has been um, more development um, as far as the police sharing more information regarding the Long Island serial killer. And I actually believe that this has a chance of being solved. I mean, I never thought the Golden State killer would be would be solved. So this one definitely does. Um, it seems like they're constantly working on it to try to find who this guy is. So I read a story that deeply disturbed me, you guys. And it happened in Mississippi. A guy was sentenced to 12 years for having a phone in jail. A phone in jail. Willie Nash was sentenced to 12 years for having contraband in prison, which is just a phone. I'm not saying it's not something he maybe should have got a week additional, but come on, 12 years. Even the judges are saying that was a miscarriage of justice. I am floored at this. And you know what? I was reading that a 2012 Mississippi law sets a sentencing range of 3 to 15 years for inmates found with deadly weapons, cell phones, or components of cell phones in state jails and prison. So you mean to tell me 3 to 15 years for cell phones? I cannot believe it. And you know what? He even appealed his decision on August 2018 because it was grossly disproportionate And the Mississippi justice rejected it. How does that make sense? This is like one of the most, I wouldn't say the most evil, I'm being dramatic. But this is definitely a miscarriage of justice that somebody could get 12 years for uh, a cell phone in prison. Some rapists don't even get that. Some drug dealers, some drunk drivers don't even get that much time. And you mean to tell me a cell phone gets that? Come on now. Come on now. That is completely unacceptable. Let me know y'all's thoughts. That wraps up today's episode. I appreciate you guys for listening. Y'all know where to find me on social media. And if you don't, let me remind you. Twitter, CrimeXNoir. Instagram, CrimeNoir, the podcast. And guess what, y'all? My website is done, and it's going to be launching very, very soon. And I will talk to you guys soon. Bye.